Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Well, notes are being passed around. You can also uh, grab uh, them online uh, if you prefer a digital copy. They're on our website. For those of you who are joining us online, you can go to uh, theprayerroomdfw.com, go to our resource tab, click on Recent Teachings, and uh, you can access uh, tonight's notes on there. Uh, this is the book of Revelation. We've uh, been in an extended series just locking in the book of Revelation together, trying to get some understanding about this book so that as we read it, it makes sense, that it's not a mystery, that it's something that we absolutely can know. You know, one of the primary premises of this study and really primary premises of any Bible study ever is God wrote the Bible so humans could understand it. It's that simple. Whether it's the book of Revelation or it's the book of Ephesians, it makes no difference. God wrote it so that humans, some of us not so bright, could understand it. And so that's uh, what we're, we've been endeavoring to do in this series. And so tonight is session 66, the call to radical holiness. Now, what I want to do in tonight's session is uh, I want to identify a couple of uh, details uh, here as we get started. One, uh, the church is called to walk in righteousness. That is not an unusual idea to us. But what is perhaps an unusual idea is that, uh, and we just kind of keep being surprised by the book of Revelation. What is perhaps an unusual idea is that the book of Revelation highlights the concept of living in holiness, that that would be a, a significant theme in Revelation. And I just think as we've been going through this study, there probably been a bunch of the themes that you're like, man, I see it now, but I never really would have thought that was a uh, significant point in the book of Revelation. Well, this is one of those that is important all throughout the New Testament. And so it makes sense that it would also make it into and it would be a, a, a focal point of the final uh, book in the New Testament, final book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And so uh, we're going to look tonight at the call on every believer to live in radical holiness, radical obedience to God, to his word, to what is right, good, and true. I'll just get on my soapbox here for a second. We're in a generation that is saying holiness doesn't matter. We're in a generation that's saying righteousness is, is not an important thing, that, that God doesn't really care, or you can do whatever you want. It doesn't really make a difference to the Lord, that the Bible is sort of a, a list of ideas, of suggestions, as opposed to a way to walk with God. Righteousness is the only way to walk with God. There is no other way to walk with him. You can know his name from afar, but demons know his name from afar. They do not walk with him. In fact, demons' theology might be a lot better than some of ours. They, they understand who God is. They saw him do crazy stuff. They've been very aware. But that doesn't mean they walk with him. Righteousness is essential. In this generation, we need to continually hear that, that we're being beckoned to walk with God in his holy ways. Now, I gave you a couple of uh, focal points here from the New Testament just to remind us. And both of these are from uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the church, uh, Philippi. And in both cases, when he's talking about living in holiness, he brings up the subject of the second coming of Jesus and how important it is that we live in holiness all the way until he comes. All right, so look uh, here, um, Philippians 1.9. This is my prayer that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. 
so that you'll be able to discern what is best and you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Pure and blameless. Now, if you didn't, you know, read that pure and blameless part, you just read the rest of the verse, it sounds like really awesome, ooey-gooey, relational with God kind of language. And it is. And we need to understand that that same level of intimacy, friendship, nearness also includes holiness. And that those are not uh, uh, unrelated ideas. It's all part of what's in the, the, uh, the recipe for the believer. Is that our love would abound, that we would have knowledge, we would have insight, that we would live holy lives until the day of Christ. It all goes together. Similarly, the, uh, the Philippians 2 verse, I'm just going to skip down. The book of Revelation doesn't just advertise the importance of holiness. It actually demands it. And that this is actually going to be an issue of life or death. It is now as well. One of the things that's a little bit different between how things are walked out right now in this hour and what will evolve in the end times is right now we've still got a little bit of time to work things out. But things are going to escalate very quickly and the time clock's actually going to have a stopping point. You know, there's never been a stopping point for mankind before uh, in, our, in, in the way that we live and experience life. Spare the flood, Okay. You just, everybody dies whenever they die, but there's coming a time where everything is going to get wrapped up in a single uh, moment where the dead in Christ are going to rise, the believer is going to be caught up, uh, that's on the earth is going to be caught up to be with the Lord. I mean, there's going to be a massive transition that's all going to occur in a moment. We're used to just kind of getting older and older and eventually you die at whatever point in your life. We've never had an end day where everybody's got to deal with their stuff all in the same day. That's a very different uh, way to wrap up a story than what we've all been used to. So it's life and death, heaven and hell, now the subject of holiness. But we've got a little bit more time to work it out, whereas in the final generation, as we near the coming of the Lord, it just things escalate. They just, the, the pace picks up very rapidly, and the revelation that it's heaven and hell, the revelation that it's life or death is going to become realer and realer as that day draws nearer. A, uh, a crucial point that uh, we want to make tonight, I'm reading out of uh, Hebrews 12, 14, top of page two if you want it. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Now, we could do a whole different sermon on make every effort to live at peace with all men. That's a very good one to, to preach in this hour of, of time right now. But that's not the message tonight. I want us to look at make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, this is the point I want to make. This is a twofold um, benefit or a twofold problem, depending on which way someone approaches it. No one will see God without holiness. Because remember, he's only got one way. His way is righteousness. His way is holiness. So there's nobody going to be able to walk with God without that holiness. But here's what this verse uh, translates to. It's twofold. One, the individual. So me as an individual... I will not see God rightly if I don't walk in holiness. I will have a jaded view of God, a jaded view of the Bible. I will, I will have veils in front of my face that will not allow me to see God rightly if I'm not walking in righteousness. That's, it's one of those things that's so important. Righteousness is a flashlight, okay, that we're able to actually see. And if you don't have that flashlight on, you are bumbling around in the dark. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. It doesn't matter who you hang out with. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But it's also twofold because especially for the messenger, for the one that's trying to make an impact for God, 
For the one that's trying to be part of the kingdom, moving things forward in the kingdom of God, without holiness, no one will see God as a result of your efforts. That will not produce God seeing. It will not produce knowledge imparting. It will not produce the righteousness that God desires. A person who is not walking in holiness will not help others see God rightly. They will actually help others see God wrongly. And there's going to be significant judgment because of that. That's the, you know, those that live out the righteousness, the commands of God, and teach others to do likewise. That thing out of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Same idea. So it's really important that we recognize without holiness, no one's going to see God. It's the only way to see God. It's the only God there is, is one viewed through the lens of righteousness. So this subject is a big one throughout the New Testament, and now we'll dive into the book of Revelation because that's our primary subject matter tonight. But I will say this as kind of end the little introduction here. People ask all the time, you know, we, we study the end times. We do studies on Revelation that go a long, long ways. People ask frequently, what do I do? If the end time is real, what do I do about it? Let me tell you this. There are some answers to that question that we've covered at other times of this study and we'll cover. But let me give you an excellent answer to that question. Grow in personal holiness. That is an excellent response to what do we do in light of the Lord's coming? What do we do related to preparing for the end times? What do we do? We walk in holiness and grow in it and care about it and be concerned about the areas of your life that are not pleasing to the Lord. Instead of calling those okay, call them dirty and then ask the Lord to help. Like we've all got that. We've all got areas of our lives that are not lined up to the Lord's uh, righteousness. We, we all got that. And anybody who thinks that you don't, well, you also have pride to add to your list. So congratulations, you have sin, okay? We want to take that to the Lord and go, oh God, help me. Help me. He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Wherever you think, no, I'm good. I don't have any need. I don't have anything wrong with me. I'm good. You have pride in your life that you actually want to submit to the Lord and have him help you because he says he gives grace to the humble. We are on a journey of asking the Lord to help us with the areas of our lives that are not bright and clean, the areas of our thought life and even our emotions, the areas of the, our actions and things that we do and give ourselves to. We want to ask the Lord for help. He loves that. It's his favorite. He loves, do you know the only way you got into the kingdom was you ask God for help? I mean, that's how the whole thing started. Oh, but that was the last time you're ever supposed to ask God for help relating to righteousness. That was just the beginning. That was to help teach you the way. That was to help get you on the path of how you deal with your crud. You go to the Lord and you go, ah, help. And he goes, oh, good. You admit you're a sinner. I love that. I love sinners. I will help you. You go, nope, I got everything under control. Oh, you got pride. I will find a way to humble you. I love you so much. I will find a way to humble you, to help you with this. Listen, I am, I'm good. I got enough things in my life to have the Lord humbling me left and right because of my own unwillingness to repent and deal with my stuff. So I'm sure all of you are far more together than me. Okay, the nature of God revealed in Revelation. Uh, as we jump into this and we look at what is the Lord's desire for us as the church to walk in righteousness, to live holy, let's start with the revelation of God in the, in the book of Revelation. Let's talk about the nature of God, ways that God reveals God in the book of Revelation to us. 
frequently given the description of the attributes of God throughout the book of Revelation of him being holy, good, righteous, just, and true. All of those things are pointing to the same reality, holiness. Look at this. Revelation 3, 7. These are the words of him who is holy and true. This is God revealing God to us in the book of Revelation. He's, he's setting the, the, uh, the tone for who he is, what he's like. He's holy and he's true. Look at uh, Revelation 3, 14. The faithful and true witness. He's faithful and true. He, he, he's a witness of what is right and good and true. This is his nature. He's even holy in judgment. It goes all the way to the point where God is bringing judgment that is actually responsible for the death of billions of people in the end time drama. Billions. Billions will die in his judgments. And in the midst of his judgments, it says this, you are holy, right, good, and true for that horrific thing you did yesterday. The angels in heaven are declaring, you are good and righteous. You are a holy God. Even though these judgments seem so intense, you are holy in the fact that you're doing them. This is part of the revelation of who he is. How long, holy Lord, I'm sorry, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, will you judge the inhabitants, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? This is God being <coughs> uh, uh, spoken of as the holy and true one who avenges blood. Next, uh, Revelation 16. It says, I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, you are just in these judgments, O holy one. He just did the first few bowls of wrath in the book of Revelation chapter 16. Those are like really intense judgments. And he's being declared as just in these judgments, O holy one. The holy one who does judgments. I just want us to catch this. The book of Revelation is filled with the revelation that God is holy. Even in the midst of all the way to the point of judgment and beyond. Gave you a couple more verses there. I'm going to skip down. You got the idea. Part C, top of page three. His nature con uh, constantly declared. This is just awesome. I was thinking about this today. The angels in heaven, the four living creatures, they're constantly crying out, something, 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 Lord God Almighty. And it's not fun, fun, fun. It's not even, you know, enjoyable, 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 or father, father, father. All of those would be true too. And a whole lot more. Holy, 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 holy. It's constant. It's, it doesn't get any more loud declaration then this attribute of who God is being in constant repeat in heaven, being declared by the four living creatures around the throne, constantly they are saying, every time we think about you, it just holy, just holy, holy comes out of our mouth because it's who you are at your very core. We're blown away by who you are. You are holy. He is everything else that we know him to be in the word, but the word that's described as constantly coming out of the mouth of the most seeing creatures in all of creation, the four living creatures that have got eyes all over, including their armpits, they are constantly looking at him and their, uh, their assessment of this one on the throne is holy, 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 holy. They can't stop saying it. This is the nature of God. The book of Revelation declares to us the nature of God is that he's holy. So of of course he would want us to be holy. Of course.
course he would invite us to be holy. And of course he would make a way for us to be holy. Of course. It's who he is. It's not like a side thing. It's, you know, we need to recognize that, that there's no other word being constantly declared in heaven about who he is. This aspect of his nature, it's preeminent. He is holy. He's other than good, righteous, true, holy. It's a powerful word for us to take in. So what does he do? Everybody around him has got white garments that represent their imputed holiness. That's a holiness that comes from him that they're given to wear and that then they sustain, they walk out. We know that uh, the white robes stand for the righteous acts of the saints. We're told that a couple of places. We're told that these white robes, it's, the, it's their holiness that they're kind of wearing, you know? Um, you know, just a, you know, imagining the Lord and the four living creatures and all that whole scene, your eyes, your, the, your mind's eye immediately starts picturing lots of white. There might be other things going on there, but there's lots of white. White is snow, that kind of concept. Well, the great multitude in heaven that will be saved in the, in the course of the great tribulation period from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation, they're wearing white robes and they're standing there these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? These are those that come up out of the great tribulation period. It's a, a number that nobody could count. So we're just assuming a, a billion, who knows how many. But it says that there are those that come up out of the great tribulation. So this is a, a giant group of people that are going to get saved in the course of time throughout the great tribulation period. This is awesome. They are clothed with white garments in his presence. Then... Jesus' call to the seven churches. I just want us to see how many times this white garment, it being the righteousness you know, uh, of the believer, them wearing it. I just want us to see how many times this picture shows up because it's not an accident that it's in there like 12 times or 15, whatever the number is. It's, it's repeated over and over and over because we're supposed to understand this subject of holiness is so important to the Lord that he even gives it to men. The call to the seven churches, Revelation 3, 4, 3, 5, and 3.18. You have a few people in Sardis, bottom of page three, who've not soiled their clothes. They walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. They've not soiled their clothes. They've not walked in immorality. They've kept themselves pure. They walk in white garments. They are worthy to walk with me because they've walked in white garments. They've not given themselves over to immorality. They've walked in righteousness. Uh Revelation 3, 5, the one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. 3, 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold or fine in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. There is uh, Jesus speaking to the church. He's saying, I encourage you to buy for yourselves these righteous garments. He, he doesn't mean go get a white pair of clothes and that deals with your sin. He's actually saying, deal with your sin. He's saying, address the sin in your life Walk in righteousness with me. Take whatever toil efforts it might take you in life that you might walk with me in righteousness. The call to the seven churches. The elders around the throne, the martyrs under the throne, and the armies of heaven that will proceed from the throne when Jesus returns. All here on page uh, four. <clears throat> we got the elders around the front throne th first. Surrounding the throne were 24 other 
thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white. So here's the elders of heaven, the primary council of heaven, standing or positioned around the throne on these 24 other thrones, and they are wearing white. Of course they are. The martyrs under the altar, each of them were given a white robe to wear. You can go look more at that later. That was a session we spent a good amount of time on. We were looking at a little bit of Revelation 6, the martyrs that are under the altar, the altars in front of the throne. They're given a white robe to wear. Uh, part F there, skipping down to part F, the armies of heaven. <clears throat> the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Everybody up there has got these white garments, but it's not because his favorite color is white. It's because of the white represents the righteous acts of the saints. The white represents the people that are near to God, walking in holiness, clothed in holiness, living in holiness. It's a beautiful picture. But look at part E. It's the middle of the page there. The bride made ready. Look at this, Revelation 19, 7 through 8 here. The wedding of the lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Now, why was she given this fine linen, bright and clean? Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. We need to connect these dots. We're looking at here the bride making herself ready. Notice it says made herself ready. The, the bride got her own clothes on, okay? What were those clothes? Normal wedding apparel? No. She was given bright, white, clean linen, and she wasn't given it because it was a neat idea or because that's what God really wanted her to wear. The church will make herself ready by walking in righteousness. And by that walking in righteousness, we will be given those white clothes, bright and clean to wear. Now, let's look at how this starts, okay? Because I don't want anybody walking out of here confused about all this works. <clears throat> when we come to know the Lord, there was no amount of good you could possibly have done that would have merited that. I don't care what you did. In fact, every good thing you did up until that point, say filthy rag before the Lord. It didn't do anything. Because you can't get to God by your own means and your own righteousness. You can only get to him through Jesus. You can only get to him by the blood of the lamb. But look what it happens here. Revelation 22. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. We wash our robes by the blood of the lamb. The only way to wash our robes and come into the kingdom is not any good thing you would ever do. That would never merit it. It would never work. Never in a million years could you do enough. However, when we hand over our dirty clothes to Jesus, we wash them in his blood and we receive his righteousness, now the clothes are clean. And it's our job to keep them that way. And part of the way that we keep them that way is we leave behind our old ways. We turn away from sin. We learn the beauty and the glory and the importance of repentance over sin. Repentance is the, the thing you do one time when you come to Jesus. It is part of our lifestyle because every time you sin, it actually matters. It actually counts towards sin. It's bad. It's not like, oh, I'm in Jesus now so I can sin as much as I want. It doesn't matter. Wrong. Error. That, that's heresy. When you sin, you got to repent for that, but he'll forgive you every time. It's glorious. 
And it's part of the process of us understanding by coming to Jesus, we get to wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb. And now it's our job to continue to walk it out. Walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's time for the church to make herself ready for the wedding supper of the Lamb. This idea that we continue to walk it out, and it's beautiful because as we do, we get to see God. And as we don't, we feel distant and dirty and, and uh, separate, and the enemy comes in and lies and does all kinds of stuff. And the problem is some of his lies are actually true because he tells us, you did this dumb thing. And he's right because we did the dumb thing. Instead of living in that shame, we need to go, in Jesus' name you go. Shame go in Jesus' name. Father, forgive me. I sinned. It's sin. It's sin. The devil's right. He called me a sinner. He's right. It's sin. Now forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness, and you'll be clean. See, this is the way that the church walks. This is the only way forward for us. Because it's not like when you came to know Jesus, now you're suddenly powerful to never sin again. (laughs) You're a hot mess. You're going to sin a lot. You better know the one who continues to forgive sin. And you better be in dialogue with him about that sin. That's how we walk out righteousness. And as we continue to come to him and go, oh, God, give give me strength. Forgive me. Cleanse me of this unrighteousness. He gives it to us freely again and again. And it empowers our spirit to press on to know him more. It empowers us to reach even more for righteousness. The church needs this revelation. We are in a generation that will need this more than every generation prior. We are in an hour where the church must learn to be holy as he is holy and to look at our lack of holiness as a problem instead of, ah, it doesn't matter, it's fine. We need to be looking at that gap between us and him and going, God, give me grace and strength to reach for more of you, to abound more and more in love, to live blameless until you come. Give me grace and help, and he'll do it. He wants to do that. He actually wants to empower us to walk in righteousness. So there's a real process. Exhortations to live righteous. I'm here at the bottom of page four, top of page three. The righteous are charged to continue living holy. So John gets through with the revelation. He has this whole book of revelation, revelation, okay? He's got all these words, all these encounters, all these angels seeing Jesus, all kinds of stuff. And it's, you just imagine John shaking his head going, how do I wrap this up? Like, what do I say to these people about all this? And this is what he says. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to live holy. Let the holy person continue to live holy. You've started the path. You've washed your your robe in the blood of the lamb. Now continue to live holy. You've got to continue to reach for holiness. This is John trying to wrap up the book of Revelation. He's like, man, everything I just wrote and said, what are some parting phrases here that the church needs? You got to live holy. (laughs) You got to walk with your God. Those of you who live holy, continue to live holy. Take steps, strides, efforts to live holy with God. It's so important. All right, moving on to the contrast between the, the righteous and the evil in the final generation. We'll wrap up here just a couple of minutes and then we'll break up into our discussion groups. Contrast to the evil of the day. Now, we've already looked at this. We've spent ample amount of time talking about the rise of wickedness in the final generation, talking about all the sin that's found in the book of Revelation. There is plenty. But look at the 
the drastic uh, contrast between <clears throat> the church walking, living in holiness and the dark hour. So the Antichrist is noted as waging war against the holy ones. Waging war against God's holy people. <clears throat> it's not just the church. It's not just the followers of Jesus. The language doesn't read that way. It's God's holy people. God's holy ones. The ones that are committed to holiness unto God. Look at what it says here. Revelation 13, 7. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. It's talking about the rule of the Antichrist in the final days. And notice it says... He's waging war against God's holy people. It's the holy ones of God that are being waged war against. The blood of the righteous is shed. Frequently, when it talks about martyrdom in the book of Revelation, it doesn't use the word martyrdom. It doesn't use the word, the phrasing, you know, killing Christians. It specifically talks about how righteous they are and how their righteous blood is shed and how wrong of a thing that that is. Look at this. They have shed the blood of your holy servants, your prophets, and have given them blood to drink as they deserve. 17 verse 6, I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people and the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Revelation 18, 24, in her was found the blood of the prophets and of all God's holy people and all who have been slaughtered in the earth. This subject of righteous blood being shed, it's not just, not just you've got the wicked and then you've got the not wicked. In the final generation, we're supposed to see this. You've got the wicked and then you've got the church that's burning hot for Jesus, that has made herself ready, that is walking in holiness, and it's actually her holiness that's getting her slaughtered. It's actually her walking in righteousness, drawing a line in the sand and saying, I will not participate in the ways of the world. I will not walk that way. That's actually what's causing the martyrdom of the saints in the final generation. It's actually the righteousness. So it's not the name of Jesus. I think the name of Jesus will continue to be littered about in all sorts of ways that are not accurate or true. It is walking in God's ways, committed to his holy purposes and plans. That's what gets them killed. In the final generation. And then the final thing I'll leave you with here is the statement to the holy ones to come out of Babylon. The final generation, we've, just, we've talked about the system that is evolving already. It's, it's already in the earth and it's growing. Right now I think it's in a very uh, impossible to identify sort of a form, but you can definitely see the seeds that are planted right now in culture that's forming what will become the harlot Babylon system at the end of the age. That's a big idea. It is. So we got some resources in the bookstore, and we'll also get to it when we get to chapter 17 and 18, the book of Revelation. But here's what I want to point out. In the midst of this two-chapter description, Revelation 17 and 18, in the midst of this two-chapter description of a global system that will be rooted in wickedness, this is what's said in Revelation 18, 4 through 5. I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you'll not share in her sins, so that you'll not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven. Come out of her. It's a call to holiness. 
Don't live according to the ways of the world. Don't live according to the ways of the culture, the ways that society will continue to devolve, the ways that sin will rise and and people will call evil good and they'll call good evil. Don't be like that. Come up out of her. Come out of her and live in righteousness. The book of Revelation, start to finish, is a call to the church of the final generation to walk in God's holy ways. Amen. All right, well, at this point, we're going to break up into groups. How many groups we got tonight, Luke? Four groups of seven, okay? If you're a group, <clears throat> group leader, can you put your hand in the air real quick? All right, so I got Caitlin over here. I got uh, Luke here. John, can I get you to move over this way here? And then Andy's in the back. What we're going to do now is we're going to break up into groups of about seven people, and we're going to do a little discussion time in those groups, and then we'll uh, regroup for a time of Q&A at the end. So go ahead and break up into groups. All right, we're wrapping up those group questions. <clears throat> And what we'll do at this time, if I can get everybody's attention, we'll go ahead and move on to group question time. And then uh, I'll repeat your questions so that we've got these recorded for those that are watching online and for those that uh, listen to the message later on. So, okay, uh, let's start back there with Andy. So will there still be some percentage of the church that looks like that? Okay, so uh, in reference to uh, the New Testament um, hour of history uh, that we see as recorded in, in our New Testament, you've got the church of Corinth that was obviously dealing with a lot of issues, carnality, sinfulness. Uh, they, they were, there was a lot wrong with the church of Corinth. And you see uh, Paul tenderly, but also not so tenderly, uh, calling out their sins and calling them to holiness. And, and so the question that uh, Andy presented was, okay, so now let's move uh, fast forward into the final, you know, 10 years of, the, of this age before Jesus comes back. Uh, will there be churches and groups of people and individuals that look like that level of commitment, holiness, all that kind of stuff? Yes, absolutely, but it's the job of the mature to call the immature higher. And so as Paul was calling the church of Corinth higher, he was identifying their sin and saying, that's not okay. Don't camp out there. That's immaturity. That's wickedness. I mean, there are a couple of times where he gets on to them and says, I can't even believe you're celebrating this in your midst. You should be grieved and kick that person out of your church. I mean, he, he got real intense about some things with the church of Corinth related to their sinfulness. So it's always going to be the job of the mature to call the immature higher. And the way that we do that is we call them to holiness. So, yeah, there's going to be a ton of people that are just giving their lives to the Lord and others that have been in the Lord for a long time living in compromise. And it's actually one of the primary ways that the church will grow up into righteousness 
is by the mature identifying to the immature their immaturity and saying, that's not okay. Don't live there. God has more for you. Come with me. I will not come with you. You can't make me. Okay, well, that's a problem. That's rebellion. That, now no, we're not talking about immaturity. Now we're talking about wickedness. And you're going to have to deal with that. That's a real issue. And, and so part of what's going to cause the church, I just, I'll go on the line here because I am, I am confident about this point. Part of the way that the church is going to be bright, clean, and holy is so many who go to church will stop because they do not want the holiness thing. So a significant part of the church maturing into that holy bride will be many who are living in compromise going, okay, I'm done. I, I don't want to do what y'all are doing. <laughs> like, I want to continue to live in compromise. I like this lifestyle. I like my sin. And you guys keep getting louder and louder about my sin being bad. And I want you to stop telling me my sin's bad. And since you won't stop, I'm leaving. And I'm just going to go do what I do over here and still call myself whatever I want to call myself. There will be a significant amount of that. But it is the role of the mature to call the immature into maturity. And so that's the pattern that we see in the New Testament. It's the whole point of the book of Revelation. You can tell the tone of Revelation assumes we, we're going to be in sin and have issues and come out of her. So it's actually assuming there'll be a significant amount of sin and compromise and immaturity and all of those equal different things. Uh, but the idea is that we're being called higher uh, to take responsibility for that. So a uh, great question, and, uh, and I think all of that really kind of helps paint a picture for what we're walking into at the end of the age. You know, it's not like as we get closer to the second coming that your free will disappears. Y you will be all the more focused on making your decisions with wisdom and maturity and strength, and it will be all the better that you are locked arms with other people that love God a lot. Because you are really going to want the strength that they bring you by them admonishing your decisions, your life choices, what you're saying yes to, what you're saying no to. It's going to be really important that we draw close together, yes, very close together, as we get closer to the end in order that we can actually walk out the purposes of the Lord. So great question. All right, uh, Luke. So how do you walk out holiness as a community, not just as individuals? I think it's so important that it gets preached about. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, uh, uh, just a leadership principle that I've learned over the years is anything said on a microphone is just an invitation for follow-up conversations. So whenever announcements are made, announcements are the funniest thing to me. Because we make these announcements and literally no one hears anything. Okay, it's Charlie Brown's mom, okay? And so nobody hears anything, all right? Sorry, Caitlin. Uh, but what it does do is it did plant a little seed that then it's a follow-up point later. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Oh, that's what she was talking about, that announcement. That's what that thing was. It's a follow-up point later. Well, it's the same thing with the subject of righteousness. And if there's not some, if there's not a voice preaching in every congregation, holiness matters, Righteousness is important. Following God, obeying the Bible is right and good. If that's not said from a microphone, it's not getting into the culture of the community. And while I do not think preaching on a microphone fixes the problem, I do think it continually reintroduces an idea into a spiritual community. And then those conversations can be followed up and repeated. So I think one of the most important things as, as a 
practical, tactile, simple answer to the question, how does a community walk out holiness, not just individuals? I think it must be said from microphones regularly or whatever platform it is, small group, living room, if it's a Facebook group. Some, there's got to be somebody talking about the importance of holiness that has to be said with some measure of regularity because we live in a culture that is screaming the opposite message every day, all day, through every form of social media. And every media of everything, every billboard, every conversation you walk walking down the street, it is constantly being said from the culture around us, you don't need to worry about your sin, this is normal, we're all wicked, it's great. That's the message that's being communicated constantly. If spiritual communities are not hearing regularly, righteousness matters, the Bible is true, and it says we got to live holy, so let's live holy. And if that's not being communicated, there's already a significant breakdown in the ability for that spiritual community to walk out holiness. So I don't think that's the only answer, but I do think it's a significant missing element in an hour right now where nobody who's leading a church or a group or a community or a mission space, nobody wants to be looked at as the guy that talks about sin guy because that's unpopular. It will cause people not to want to come back to the ministry. What it will cause is it will cause the church to actually be the church instead of a social club that holds to the name of Jesus. So I think there's a lot of multiplication of something other than the church that's happening right now, and it's because of an unwillingness to say hard stuff like, the Bible says, go and sin no more. <laughs> it's like, it's really simple stuff. It's not, it's not brain surgery, but it must be said. And if it's not said, then a different form of Christianity rallies around uh, whatever that is. And, and so it's an important component. I don't mean every message all the time, but I do mean it's got to be in there. And if it's not, there's already a breaking down of the purpose of the Lord. Okay, uh, over here. Yeah, great question. So as you experience victories as you grow as you, you're you know you're reaching for holiness and as you reach no doubt it's like a it's like a rope with knots on it as you reach it's hard but every now and then you do actually get a knot and you're pulling yourself forward you know piece by piece how do you celebrate the victories how do you go jesus i'm making progress this is awesome without falling into pride I honestly wouldn't be so focused on the concern that you're going to fall into pride if you just keep a regular diet of, oh, God, help me love you and help me not be prideful. Then you can celebrate everything God gives you. Every good and perfect gift comes from the, from the Father of lights. You can celebrate every good thing, every victory, every moment, every awesome thing without worrying that you're going to somehow fall into pride because you're excited about good stuff that's happening in your life. We don't want to be overly cautious about celebrating victories. We just want to keep our focus on Jesus, help me. And if you feel pride coming in, then say, pride, go away in Jesus' name. Help me, God. I was prideful. Amen. Uh, but don't be overly concerned about that. You got enough worries. So don't, don't worry that you're going to fall into pride because you're celebrating the good stuff that God's doing in your life. Just as you feel pride, and I would say this, all of us need to go on the journey of identifying what pride sounds and feels like in our soul. Because if, as you start to identify, ooh, that was pride. You want to deal with that early instead of just letting that thing grow, okay? Uh, don't let that dog become a big dog because you keep feeding it, all right? Keep that thing small and deal with it early. 
But you want to learn what that feels like as it starts to creep in. Just like you know when lust creeps in, like you know what that looks and feels like. You're like, oh, that's, uh, help. It's this pride's another one. You just got to go, that's pride. That's got a little taint on it. That's got a little dirt on it. I don't, I don't like that. I got to deal with that. And that's, so that's more the approach we want to have as opposed to here are the 10 things that I'm growing in. Here are the 10 gifts that God's given me. Here's the 10 cool things that happened in my last year. But I want to be really careful that I don't become prideful of all the things. Let's thank the Lord for everything. Let's just thank him like crazy. Keep your focus on him and not your focus on you. Lord, thank you. It's happening. We're doing it. Thank you. Instead of, I am so awesome. I grew in this thing. I am Mr. Epic. It's not about you. All right. Uh, over here, John. You got a question from your group? Okay. Okay. All right, let me do that one first because I remember it because you just said it. And then, and then I'll, I'll touch the other one. Okay, so uh, at the end of Revelation, it says, vile, stay vile, holy, keep living holy. Why does it tell the vile, the wicked, to stay the course of wickedness? Well, at that point, the decision's already made. So at that point, what's already occurred now is you've got the seals, trumpets, and bowls. You've got the, what, a term that has been used in Christianity. I like the term because it's so dirty sounding it's so intense sounding that it draws your attention to what unusualness is occurring in this person's heart and that is the term the reprobate and what it means is they have made the decision and the covenant they've actually they've got the mark of the beast and they now can't repent they won't repent it says they won't repent they will not repent they have given their life soul and heart to the antichrist and to satan they are now living in a completely wicked state and they will not repent. They can't repent. But it's, they didn't get there overnight. They, got the, they, they took the mark of the beat. They said, I can't wait to worship you, Antichrist. You're the coolest. Oh, you belong to Satan. He's even cooler than you. I cannot wait to give my soul to both of you. Let's go. Got any commandments for me? I mean, we're talking about next level insanity of commitment to wickedness. It's not like they were dabbling in a little this and that. I mean, we're talking about they gave their heart and soul to the dragon, okay? That's the reprobate. So John's wrapping up Revelation. He says, you know what? At this point, <laughs> you have already gone as dark as you can go. Stay the course. And he says to the righteous, you too, live holy. First question he asked, and I'll do it as quick as I can, uh, those that it says are given white garments, they'll be like Jesus. We've got verses that, that talk about being like him, being like the angels. Uh, what does it mean to be like Jesus? Well, it doesn't mean that you've, you, know, you became the son of God, you died on the cross, and you died for everybody's sins. It doesn't mean everybody worships you. It says like. It, says, it doesn't say you become Jesus or that, you know, that you're of the same order as him. What's happening is you're like him. And as far as appearance, garments, holiness, the way the father sees. But the way, I'll just tell you this. I, I've got three kids 
I love each of them, but they're not the same person. I love each of them for who they are, and they're all stroops, but they're all different stroops. And I, I love each one of them, and I've got such affection for each one of them, but my affection for each one of them being abundant, overflowing, you know, all that, it doesn't blend them together into one person. They're still unique and distinct. And so I, I hope that certain attributes uh, that are uh, uh, honorable about them, I hope that they would be like each other. But even if they were, it wouldn't make them the same person. It wouldn't make them become, it's not like Riker would become JC. That'd be weird. It'd be a weird thing. Um, but but it's, it's good that we would be like him. And so uh, an appearance of glory, but not to the same degree. We're told that our, our brightness in the next age will vary as much as one star to another. And our sun is a small, dim star in the universe by comparison to some big stars. Okay, so our brightness is going to vary. I'm imagining that there's some even aspects of the garment that will vary. There's a lot of things. So to be like him doesn't mean we will be him. Okay, uh, so hopefully that's helpful at least a little bit. All right, uh, worship team, you can come on up. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.